Welcome back to Far From Perfect. I am your host, Kylie Larson, and today I am talking with a new friend that feels like an old friend, Paul Campbell. I recently met Paul at the seminar I went to in Florida where I met several other of the coaches um, with Team BioLane, with Lane Norton's coaching team, and we hit it off immediately. So Paul has his master's degree in nutrition sciences, and he is a retired professional bodybuilder, and he did that for about 15 years, I believe. In this podcast, we are talking about competing. And if you're not sure what I mean by competing, I mean competing in bodybuilding. So for females, that's your bikini or your physique. Um, For males, it's like your classic bodybuilding or whatever else the dudes do. But the reason I wanted to talk about it was because, you know, I work with the general public, right? You, chances are you listening to this, you are not a competitor. Maybe you have competed in the past. But the general population is seeing these bodies on social media and they think that that is a, a goal. They think that these bodybuilding bodies are goal bodies when actually what goes into that is not what you think, or it's more than you think. So I wanted to have this honest conversation about what it really takes, and then follow up that question is, is it worth it? And no one can decide that except for you, but I wanted to shed some light on the actual process and the repercussions of that process. Now, of course, we talk, oh, I mean, so much more about so many other things. A big part of our conversation kept circling back to your purpose, and your values. And that's really why I enjoyed talking with Paul myself. This is a longer episode, but that's because Paul has a lot of great things to share. He gives us a lot of insight into his upbringing and his background. And I think it's evident that um, he knows what hard work is. And I think that's why he was successful on the stage. And now he's successful in owning a gym and being a nutrition coach. So please enjoy this episode. Let us know if you have any follow-up questions. There are links to get a hold of Paul through his Instagram, through his website, through his coaching, whatever you need. And then of course, don't forget to check out the show notes for my sponsors. Thanks. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Let me know when we're on. There we go. Welcome back to Far From Perfect, everyone. I'm so jazzed because I'm sitting down with one of my new great friends, Coach Paul Campbell, who is the owner of The Bar in Montana City, Montana. And it's making me want to move to Montana so bad. I was just telling him, I want to live in Montana now. (laughs) (laughs) I want to train your facility. It looks so amazing. Thank you, Kylie. Yeah, it's uh, thanks so much for having me. It was... I think Kylie and I introduced each other. We got introduced to each other at the remodel back in at the end of May this year. And we, we kind of hit it off. Uh, she has attended some of the seminar presentations or the whole day rather. And then the following day with the practical, with the hands-on in the gym. And so <clears throat> come to find out Kylie's got a very successful coaching business as well. And we kind of connected and 
So we're going to, we're going to be talking all things fitness, maybe some niche things and perhaps some other things that might be interesting. So tune in. Absolutely. Uh, So before we do dive in and all that, like for my audience, can you give us a little insight into your background? Like what do you do? What got you here? Yeah. And and that's definitely important. The backstory. So initially I, I have three, I have three degrees, not that these really mean anything, but kind of gives you context. So my first degree out of high school was an associates in marketing and sales. And what kind of sparked me to do that is I, my dad worked uh, for IBM as a senior sales exec for 30 years. And I really kind of uh, admired his lifestyle and his hard work ethic and kind of the challenges that he had to go through to be successful. And so I kind of was interested, so to speak. And that was one of the first things that crossed my mind when I graduated high school, because I wasn't sure exactly what route I wanted to take. So I went to a two-year technical program, which is actually a very good program. And then after two years, um, I wanted to continue on and complete my bachelor's degree. And so I went to the University of Wisconsin Stout and went for my business and finance uh, undergraduate, um, my bachelor's. And that's where I was kind of introduced to the whole fitness thing. Now, <clears throat> to back up a little bit, I never really was athletic in high school. I did play sports, but I never really participated consistently in resistance training um, or regular exercise, with the exception of a few sports that I was in, and that faded away quickly. So after high school, I decided to start using my dad's old Marine Corps weight set that he had in the, in the basement. <clears throat> and so I would do things like I'd run a half a mile, do some push-ups, you know, your typical curls, a few bodyweight squats, pull-ups, and then I'd finish with like a half mile run. And I really started to, to pay attention to how that made me feel physically and mentally. And so I started to become more and more consistent with dosing myself with the things that made me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I got my first gym membership when I actually started going to the technical college in my hometown. And that's where I really fell in love with weight training. Uh And I think part of it was just, it was this new adventure for me. Um, The people were so welcoming in the facility and it was your, and I still go there when I travel back to the Midwest called Frank's gym, my favorite gym by far. Mm -hmm. And I met one of my very good buddies, Craig Voltz there. And we really hit it off and we became best friends and he was in my wedding and lifting partner for many years. And so that's really where, you know, like the newbie gains, that's really what hooked me is I'm like, holy crap, I'm seeing a lot of return on investment here. So I I continued on with that. And then after, like I said, I transferred over to University of Wisconsin Stout. Um, I think that was around like 2004, somewhere in that area. And I continued to lift. And I, by that time I had put on a considerable amount of size. When I graduated from high school, I was like 160 pounds. And by the time I was an undergrad, I was 215 pounds, 210, 215 pounds. So now <clears throat> I didn't really have a lick of understanding about nutrition or any of that kind of stuff. So I was kind of self-taught initially. I took your standard, you know, creatine, but it was in, you know, the cell tech muscle tech products, which were complete trash at the time. I didn't know any better. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I ended up uh, in the, in the rec center and I, I noticed this one guy who was just so well put together, but I noticed he played rugby mm. and I just kind of started to observe a little bit more. I got hired on as well at the uh, training center, the, the, the rec center um, for the weight room staff and front desk attendant. And so I would see this gentleman, his name was Braden soul, one of my best friends. And 
I started to see him practice for rugby and then he'd come in and lift and I'm like, man, this guy and his legs were just massive. And I, all I remember is like, I'm going to train with this guy because I know my legs need improvement because I never trained my legs really when I first started. So I had some catching up to do. <clears throat> so I saw him in a locker room day and I'm like, I introduced myself and he said, Hey, I saw you guys are playing rugby. Is that like a walk on? What is he's like, well, you, you can try out for it. Now keep in mind, this is a division one rugby club. So oh we God. played a lot of the big 10 schools so I ended up trying out, you know, I was accepted by the team. Braden and I became really close buddies. We started lifting. And so that's really where I would say I sunk my, my entire soul into resistance training. And that's where I made a ton of progress. Now, fast forward several years after I graduated um, from undergrad school, I got a job in marketing and sales. I was a consultant for a, a small marketing firm in my hometown. So I moved back to my parents' house. Where'd they live? live uh, Wausau, Wisconsin. So right in the center okay. of the state of Wisconsin. So I moved back, lived with my parents for one year as I worked uh, at this marketing firm. Then the big housing crash happened of 08, mm -hmm. 09 in that time frame, And I'm like, you know, this job sucks. Like it was a desk job. I was making cold calls, putting together like stuff I thought I would like, but I absolutely despised. And it was a good experience. So I I thought about what could I do? So I went to, uh, <clears throat> I went to Gander Mountain because <clears throat> throughout my high school and junior high career, I was actually a, a, an archery tech at Gander Mountain. So I had about 10 to 14 years of experience within the sporting good arena. And so I just reached out because I still knew some pretty high up people that were involved in that outdoor um, retail establishment. So long story short, I got offered a position in La Crosse, Wisconsin as their hunting manager. So I managed the fishing and, excuse me, the archery and, and gun side of the store. And that lasted about one year. Uh, <laughs> I had kind of a, a meltdown as it were, uh, not mentally, but just like thinking about, you know, working 70, 80 hours consistently and not getting paid a decent wage and dealing with just all the stuff that I didn't want to deal with from a management standpoint and being involved in retail. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And that was really, I will say I was at rock bottom in terms of, I didn't know what my next move was. Like physically I was, I was okay. You know, my, my, my workouts and things kind of took a back seat, but I still was quasi consistent instead of five days, maybe I was two or three days based on my schedule. So that's really kind of where I hit like a, a, an intersection in my life where I'm like, okay, the next move I need to make, it needs to be meaningful and purposeful and it needs to give me some sort of value and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went back to my roots. I'm like, well, what else am I like? What am I good at? What interests me? What's going to challenge me to grow? And so I looked at two programs, uh, ex an exercise program at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse or the nutritional sciences program at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Now, the significance here is they're both in Wisconsin. One of the programs that was in lacrosse, they had a year and a half waiting list, and I did not want to wait that long. University of Wisconsin Stevens Point was about 30 minutes south of my hometown. So I decided to apply. I did take the GRE. And let me tell you, once you've been out of school for a year or more, like trying to learn the whole student role again is incredibly difficult, but I was like so bound and determined to, to capture and harness this new student role that I was taking on. And so fast forward, I got accepted. 
I moved back to my hometown, moved back in with my parents, um, who the day I moved back, that was the day they, they, they got separated. So it was like this whole, it was just so bizarre, right? Like I, I walk into the house, half of it's empty. I'm talking to my mom. She's like, you know, it, this is the decision we've made. It was very cordial. And I'm like, okay, what the hell am I going to do? So I move literally 11 times in three, less than three years between, you know, undergrad, um, moving to lacrosse, a couple jobs, back to grad school, live with mom, live with my dad, live with my brother. Then I moved to point. So it was just this, I don't know how I made it through that, that time frame in my life of 2009 ish to 12, because it was absolute chaos, but it was probably some of the most enjoyable fun that I've had in terms of just kind of remolding and, and reframing the way that, you know, I, I, I look at life and the things that I value and, and what I want to do, you know, in the interim and, and, and looking, you know, down the road. So anyways, <clears throat> so I got into to grad school at Stevens Point. I went right to the YMCA and I also went to a very, very prestigious health club, Adventure 212, and I was hired at both of them. One, the YMCA was a front desk staff attendant. I helped out with like the silver sneakers program because that you could do that. And I was cleaning equipment like every 20 minutes I'd make my rounds, right? So I was changing toilet paper, taking out garbage. Like I was at the bottom of the totem pole mm -hmm. at the, the health club that I worked at, which was super expensive to be a member at. Training was not cheap. It was very, very ritzy. I was doing health assessments. So I think I got paid 10 bucks at the time. I rode my you know, my cycle cross bike there or my pile of crap Honda Civic at the time. And I was doing these consults, right? And so the, the primary objective of the consult is to truly to get to know the members, new and existing. But then there's a sale at the end of it. And the sale was, and this was not like a sleazy sale. Or it's not like your, your big box gems. It was you truly, you knew the members, you knew the, you knew the people that were involved. And long story short, <clears throat> I ended up selling five to $15,000 a month in personal training and when I was doing this, I was noticing like all these fucking trainers on the floor are getting a free meal ticket that I'm giving them, right? You're at the kiosk. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I got paid like 10 bucks an hour. At the time, it was like better than flipping burgers or anything. I worked, you know, maybe 30 hours a week, whatever. And so I ended up going to the owner because I knew the owner um, just through being there. She was very, very nice very approachable. And I said, Hey, like, because she, she recognized how much I was doing and she complimented me often. Um, just, you know, like not, not brown nosing, but just say, Hey, I know you're doing a good job. Keep up the good work, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I approached her and I said, you know, I know I'm really selling a lot of these, these training packages and I know your trainers make more than I do. And I'm giving them. So I said, you know, I'd like to propose either I, you know, either I receive a commission on sales or I said, what do I got to do to become a trainer? Mm. And she's like, tell you what, we'll pay for all your materials and your exam. And when you pass it, we'll make you a trainer. So I'm like, sweet deal. So, <laughs> so now early on when I'm in my twenties, like I stack as much pile, as much on the pile as I can carry. So I'm studying for this, this trainer exam, I'm in grad school, writing huge papers, doing a ton of research. I'm planning a wedding at the time and I'm competing. So I'm prepping You're to compete. competing so I, during that time. Yep. So I have all this stuff on my plate, right? 
So I passed this exam and leading up to my exam date, what I ended up doing is all the health consults that I was doing, every one of them that bought a package, I put on my schedule for my post test date. And I explained to them, like, I'm going to pass this thing. If I don't, I'll refund your money. Like, or I'll, I'll pass it to a different trainer. We've got great trainers. Cause we really did have a good, a good hub of trainers. Uh, very educated, very, very talented. And so the trainers started coming up to me and going, Paul, what's going on? Like, and, and I looked at him like, fuck you guys. Like none of you, like you didn't even give me a coffee. You didn't say thank you. Like I'm giving you thousands of dollars of revenue a week and month yeah. because I'm referring people to you. So I'm like, I'm going to start feeding myself. So when I hit this, when I hit the training floor after my test, I was working 30 plus hours as a personal trainer. Wow. And I made more money, not that it's about money, but it was kind of funny. I made more money in grad school training than I did in my first job out of undergrad school. Amazing. So, I love this and story. more than I made in the retail space. So that's kind of where everything <clears throat> took place. Now, I'm going to go back on the timeline a little bit. So what got me into natural competitive bodybuilding was my good friend, Brayden, who got me into rugby. Um, the year before we graduated, um, or at least the year before I graduated, he suggested just like, dude, you're really well put together. You should consider doing a show in April. And this is probably December timeframe. So he didn't help me with the prep at all. He made it clear that he didn't want to help me. He wanted me to do it on my own. I'm like, that's fine. I don't want, I want to try it myself. And so I competed and that's where I got hooked. Now keep in mind, this was, you know, over 15 years ago, roughly. So I took second, but I, <laughs> I look at the pictures now and I would be laughed off stage. It was, right. so it's really kind of cool to see how I've evolved from a physique standpoint. So that's what got me into bodybuilding. And I think that kind of helped set the, the foundation and framework for, you know, what I did in, in, in grad school with, you know, training and, and working in the health club establishment. So from there, I, I mean, I don't want to tell you the whole, like moving to Minnesota and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's still part of this, but you know, we don't have, I don't want to spend four hours talking about me. So anyways, that's kind of what, what kickstarted my, my um, love and passion for not only helping myself, but then learning how can I, how can I make this about helping other people and make a living from it? Absolutely. And, and I so, want to point out, like you mentioned the word purpose and purpose is actually like it's the center point of my program because as you know, when you when you take control of your health, your wellness, and your physical being, like you're unstoppable and it allows you to like figure out what you want to do and you feel strong enough to go do it. And so anyone who's listening to this, I talk to people all the time who hate their jobs and they want to do something different. They don't know what you just gotta like do it. You gotta do what Paulie did. You just gotta go try something. Yeah. And that's the thing, like even as an entrepreneur and a business owner, it's really easy to, to try to make like a process or a product or a service, whether it's an email or your price list or your consults, you try to make them as good as possible, right? But you end up spending so much time trying to refine things and not testing them mm -hmm. when you should just test them and then evaluate, yep. right? So the same, same kind of theory applies to maybe perhaps finding your new, your new um, purpose, right? If you're in a job you hate, um, <clears throat> some people have to stay due to maybe fiscal reasons or whatever the case may be to make ends meet. Maybe they're just not in a situation to depart, but 
you know, I think everybody has something in them where they can maybe look at their lifestyle through a different lens and perhaps see a, a, a different color through that kaleidoscope and go, you know, this interests me. I'm going to go try this. And you also have to be honest with yourself and take the, the monetary value out of whatever purpose you're trying to find. Right. Cause like, I think a lot of people get into personal training or coaching because it's, it, it can be lucrative. Yes, that's the case, but you also have to understand it's not about you at that point. It's about another person's goal. It's about talking and becoming, you know, another person's coach and building a relationship. So you, you can't, I mean, I think monetary reasons to get into something is silly. Um, I don't think that is a valid why I think that can be a benefit to certain things, but there are also a lot of really great occupations that have a very low stress level, possibly um, that have a really great work-life balance that may not pay as much. So you have to, again, that all ties around to your value system. What do you value? And if you can't identify what you value, you're going to have a difficult time knowing what direction to go in the water on that boat and how to drive that ship or, or steer the ship as it were. So a value system is absolutely a monumental part of, um, the growth and evolution process um, for yourself. I agree 100%. Well, so the reason I initially like reached out was because you gave at the the bio lane thing, you were talking about competing and it was like consideration for competing. And I wanted to revisit that just because my demographic, I'm sure we work with kind of similar clients because it's the people who have the resources and they need the help, right? It's the women, age, whatever to whatever. And I know a lot of my clients and contacts, they'll see competitors, um, you know, on Instagram, social media, and they think that's like a goal. And I think that's cool, but I don't think everyone actually understands what it actually takes to look like that. You know, we talk a lot about the cost of getting lean, but there's lifestyle lean, there's photo shoot lean, and then there's stage lean. So can you just help us understand what does it actually take? It, it takes what it takes. And that's a quote from Luca Hokabar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, an incredible role model in my life. And so anyways, <clears throat> it takes more than the average person is willing to give. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the social fabric of social media platforms gives a false narrative to what contest prep or being on stage is actually like. Mm-hmm. This is not to discredit anybody from attempting contest prep or who is currently in contest prep. I have retired after 20 years as a professional bodybuilder in my last several years. And things change, but the best way I can put it, and this was this was on one of my slides, is you're you're basically you're running your health into the ground yes. to achieve. Uh, a, a physical appearance that is <clears throat> very, very short lived. And you're trying to crash that physique into the ground as gracefully as possible. And how do you do that? Right. So if you have a, a, a let's just say a general population client who's looking to lose five to 10% of their body weight, that's pretty reasonable for the vast majority of the population. You're going to see significant health benefits, um, improvement in, you know, blood sugars, cholesterol, um, you know, improvement in men for their T levels, et cetera. The list kind of goes on. Once you start dipping into the, you know, the single digit body fat 
especially if you don't naturally walk around under 10%. There are some people that do, but most people don't. Mm. Now you have overreached the health benefits and now you taper or you, you, you toy around with, you know, potential, you know, complications with females in particular, um, losing your period, you know, your, your cycle, which is some women might be like, Oh, that might be great. Well, no, that's not great. Like that's your reproductive system telling you something is fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A lot of things. I think there can be some health complications that happen as a result of restricting so much eating disorders, eating disorders are disguised in a variety of ways. I'm sure you've probably worked with clients who have had these as have I, um, I tend to pass them off depending on what the, what the issue is, uh, because it's not necessarily in my immediate scope, but so eating disorders can become an issue. And then, and then you have to look at your immediate circle, your environment, the people that you impact. Now, granted, yes, it's a goal. Any goal that you set is going to be inherently selfish, but you also have to look at what, like, what extremes are you going to? And part of the reason why I stepped away from bodybuilding, number one, it doesn't fulfill me anymore. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the, the biggest thing I've gotten everything out of it. I've competed at the amateur level and the pro championships, um, at the world world championship level. I have nothing left to get out of the sport. I've got a couple, you know, nagging injuries that impact, you know, my physique, but it just, it doesn't fill my soul anymore. Now the work ethic that is behind the contest preparation has really helped me um, be successful in a business standpoint, because I know that in order to get to this position with my business, I have to do X, Y, Z. I have to do what it takes. Same thing applies with contest prep. So to kind of circle back around to your, to your question, it, the, the, the sacrifices each individual has to make to get to stage lean will look different because everybody's immediate circumstances are different, whether they're working, not working, kids, no kids, married, not married. It, it doesn't matter. The, the dynamic shift that will take place will change dr- drastically for you. Um, you'll have to start saying no to things that you used to say yes to. Um, like social events, you can forget about, um, you know, going out to eat. Now, granted, you can go out to eat, but it's like you're, you're in your own control ward and you're your own science experiment. And you're, you are like, you're almost so hyper aware of what you're doing that it can have a negative impact on your mental health. Mm-hmm. And I'll be clear, like it is not healthy. Once you get to, I would say, it depends on what's, what stage a person's at, but um, those body fat levels are not healthy. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of people try to do a contest prep. And while they may not achieve those ultra low body fat percentage levels, the things that they're doing to try to accomplish that are not healthy, yeah. right? If you have, and I want whoever's listening to this, write this down. If you have eating disorder tendencies. If you don't know, you need to seek out professional help. If you have eating disorders, if you have uh, body dysmorphia, um, bigorexia, any of those things, 
contest prep will absolutely magnify all of those variables. If you are not a confident person, if you struggle with body image, et cetera, a lot of females do. And it's, it's really unfortunate because I think it's our responsibility, especially on the social media space, to promote getting strong, nourishing your body, you know, obtaining healthy lifestyle behaviors, those types of things. Yeah. That's really important. But people see the end result. When you see somebody stage lean, they are at their weakest point. They look like they could lift a brick shit house. They are probably really struggling to just get through the day and they are doing anything it takes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so it will absolutely magnify any sort of tendencies or diagnoses you already might have. If um, there's been quite a few females who have talked to me about it, who, ha- who have Hashimoto's, right? And I'm sure you've had clients with Hashimoto's or, or PCOS, right? That makes your contest prep exponentially more difficult, right? Because generally your metabolic capacity is probably going to be a little bit lower to begin with. Therefore, you have to take your calories even lower. I'm talking sub 900 to get you to a particular leanness. Um, I had another thought that was uh, kind of fleeting my mind, but I remembered it. And that's the whole premise of bodybuilding is to put you on stage like a piece of meat. It is subjective. So you are letting literally a panel of people who have never met you before, or maybe they've seen you once or twice if you competed, tell you what they think about how you look. And just let that sink in for a minute. Females, if some random person came up to you on the street and said, you got a nice ass or you got pancake ass, you'd probably turn around and deck them. That is the type of critique you are receiving at these shows. Maybe not so it's a little bit more PC than that, but it's in the same vein. Mm -hmm. So you are putting yourself on stage, mind you, for less than 10 minutes Mm -hmm. to let a panel of people you've never met tell you what they think about you. If you have problems with getting criticism, bodybuilding probably isn't the sport for you in a competitive capacity. It, it, It costs a lot of money. Females, hands down, it costs females more because of your sparkly suits, which can be thousands of dollars makeup, hair, like, I don't know how y'all do it. I have a whole new respect for, you know, I said this at the, the, the conference I presented at shaving, like, holy shit. Like there's so much, so much like hygiene and care that goes behind it. And it costs money and you don't make any money. I think the most I won at a show was like 500 or 750 bucks. It was something nominal that didn't even cover a week's worth or two weeks of worth of groceries for me. So it's, it's, a, <clears throat> you don't do it for the reasons of making money. No. Um, so that's kind of, that's now granted, like I love bodybuilding. I, I love living vicariously through people who like to do it. And, and part of the reason I got out of it because the, the physiques were getting so incredibly extreme. What's and happening? I think the processes and methods are getting better. I think, you know, I think there's new people coming into the, the sport that are perhaps more genetically gifted, but they're also working very hard right? So you have the genetic component, plus you have the work ethic, which makes a real potent recipe for being successful. Um, I'm six, six, four, about 220 pounds right now. I'm relatively lean. You don't see successful bodybuilders in the natural realm at six, four. You just, cause you can have a guy that's five ten or five, eight right next to you that weighs the same. That's 
looks bigger because he's shorter and maybe has better lines. So just my segments, it just, for me, it was a decision to step away for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into. Um, I have no hard feelings against bodybuilding, but these are literally the things I thought about, like <laughs> your, your contest prep, um, can last anywhere from 12 weeks, depending on the individual, which you, if you're doing a 12 week prep, you probably are pretty close to, you know, single digit body fats to begin with or body fat to begin with up to a year prep. I've done short-term and long-term. They both have their pros and cons, but again, you have to really think about why are you doing this? I, I, you, I don't recommend competing just to get into shape because the shape you achieve on show day is not the shape you're going to retain weeks after. Right. And not everybody suffers from post-show blues, so to speak, but the last few contests I, I competed in, I didn't post anything about it. No, there's like three or four people that knew I was competing. And that was actually the most enjoyable time because I had literally no pressure from anybody. Yeah. I wasn't putting myself out there on social media for people to comment on my physique and, you know, and follow my journey, which that can be helpful. That can be a motivator for some people. But at the end, when you're, when your stage time is done, people don't watch you really anymore. And, you know, you still get follows and views and likes and stuff like that, which that isn't really important to me to begin with, but that goes away. But that person competed. Okay. Who else is competing? I want to see something else. So that's, so you don't want to do it for vanity or attention. Those I, I would have strongly advise against you, you need to, again, your value system, you need to go back to what are your values? What are you, what, what are your, what are your beliefs? Um, what gives you purpose and, and meaning now on the other side of that coin, I really enjoyed the structure. I really enjoyed the challenge and it kept me with a, a, a straight head in graduate school and undergrad school. It gave me something else to focus on other than my academia. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm different now. I'm, you know, I'm 20 years past my first show almost. And, you know, my goals are not to get on stage and be like, my business will suffer as a result yeah. of that. Right. right? Like I won't How have as much, uh, 38. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I, I thought I would compete well in my late forties. Like I really enjoyed it, but at the end of each season, I would kind of take a sabbatical from thinking about when am I going to compete next? Cause that's the next thing people go, Oh, I'm going to compete again. And it's like, Oh yeah. You just dieted. You were just in a deficit for the last eight months or whatever it was, right? 10 months. My last prep was 42 weeks. It's like, <laughs> you just got done running yourself into the ground. And you want to compete in 10 months and you just did a six month prep. Like your body doesn't necessarily bounce back for sometimes the entire duration of your original prep. So that means if you took six months to prep, you might take six months to get back to some sort of a homeostasis or normal level um, with, you know, maybe perhaps a body weight, your, your physiology, things like that. And then to improve, like as a drug-free competitor, good luck, not with that timeline. So you need to take time off. And I think that's where people kind of, the stage will always be there. There will always be shows, but I think, yeah people have this sense of urgency that if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. And it's like, well, the objective of competing aside from maybe personal accomplishment or things like that is you want to step on stage the next time and you want to look better. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a competitor's nightmare to look the same or worse. And I see it primarily in females. I see it where they compete year after year after year and they look worse year after year after year. And the methods they have to take to get leaner are more extreme year to year to year. Mm -hmm. So 
when they say don't judge a book by its cover, when you see the, those lean chicks on Instagram showing their abs and stuff, they don't have their period. They ain't having sex with their significant other because they have zero libido. And I'll be the first to say that, you know, as a male, that's kind of like, that's part of your manhood is to know that you're, you're, you're able to, you know, you know, perform, get it up, perform, <laughs> right. That shit, that shit goes away. Like it does. And I don't think people realize this. They think yeah. it's like, oh, I just got to lose a little bit of weight and do this. Now, that's not true. It's take what you do now and 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 amplify that by like a hundred, yeah. a thousand. Depend. It depends on you as the individual. It is so much more. It is so much more strict and rigid than trying to lose five or ten percent of your body weight, right? Like, and I and I just think there's this misrepresentation of sustainable and what fit actually looks like and what healthy and, and, and what thriving looks like in the fitness space, not for just females, but for males too. But I think it's still over. We have this overcasting shadow on the female population and it's just, and perhaps females are more emotional about this stuff and that drives their decision-making process sometimes. And I, so I had a gal that I was working with for a contest prep last year and we spent six months kind of building. Um, she was at maintenance prior to that. So we spent some time building. I wrote her training blocks, et cetera. We get two months into her prep and this client had Hashimoto's and I'm not going to name names because I'm just not going to, but at any rate, we got like two months in the prep and she was, it was just so slow. And then she can had continual flare ups, oh, which oh. were not helpful and they were painful for her. So we had a, we had to come to Jesus and I'm like, are you willing to do what it takes? Now she had competed already once or twice. Um, and she told, I'm like, you need to talk about it with your family. Like it's to me, it's, it's not about getting money every month from you as a coach. It's about making sure that you're doing the right thing for your health and your body, because that's what I, that's what I resemble. That's what my, you know, if we can do this in a way that works great, but if your heart's not in it and you're having like, we need to rethink this. So she ended up pulling out, um, which I wholeheartedly agreed with. And in the back of my mind, I was kind of hoping, um, and she's in a much better space. Um, I had a, a guy that I prepped for April first show and he kicked ass two weeks out. He sent me an email. This was, this is where the mental health stuff comes in. Um, it was, a, a, a three paragraph email about just really bad, negative, really negative self-talk, uh, putting himself down. Like there was a, a complete shift in the tide from when we first started, even midway through and his calories weren't even that low. Um, and, he, and I, and I called him immediately and we had a two hour conversation on the phone and I'm like, this is the stuff I told you, you were going to be going through. Like it gets better during peak week. You start to feel better because we feed, feed you more food. But so he followed through with it, but I mean, this is the stuff that like, you don't see what goes on behind closed doors. Like if you have a chance to, <laughs> there should be a reality show about this actually. Totally. Where, and, and I don't care about the first two thirds of prep. I care about the last third. Like if you want to truly know what prep is like, go follow around a contest 
prep athlete four weeks out from their show and then tell me you're interested in it if you're curious. Yeah. Some of you still might be, and, and that's okay. Like I might, some of you might be cussing my name and you might unfollow me because I seem anti-contest prep. I'm not, I'm anti-doing stuff for stupid reasons. And like I said, it, the whole premise of it is to be told how you look in front of a panel that's never seen you before by standing on stage and posing for 10 minutes, which is a great experience. Like, because at the end of the day, the other side of the coin, you can, you can really challenge yourself to build your physique in a way that you never thought you could. Right. But there's consequences of that. There's, there's things that can happen as a result of that. Same thing with you win the lottery. Like everybody's like, Oh, more money, more money. If you don't know how to manage it or don't know what to do with it means possibly more problems in any context. It could be money. It could be relationships. It does not matter. So you really have to, you know, you really have to kind of, again, go back to your value system. Okay. I think, you know, your why is going to be predicated on your value system. You have to have a solid value system. And if your values align with that, then I think it's okay to go compete. I think it's wonderful. Like that might be a great experience for you, but you really have to be honest with yourself. Don't do it because, you know, a friend told you you should do it, which is exactly why I did it. But my value system was different then. Yeah. Um, I knew I had a good physique. I knew I could be a, 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 a good competitor. And quite honestly, I was in a different place than, than I am now. Yeah. So well, I agree. You know, I've competed. I did it out of curiosity. I wanted to see what I could do. Like I had a, a good foundation, but also like back when I did it again. So that was, uh, 10 years ago, eight years ago, but I had this idea in my mind. Cause I had been interested in it since I was like in college where the bodies were different. Like you, I want you to think about like muscle and fitness magazine and the women that were on the cover of it that were figure competitors who don't even look like bikini competitors. Now, like the body yeah. is totally different. Um, but yeah, do it if you want to do it. I don't want to push anyone away from having a life experience, but don't do it because you think your partner is going to find you like more attractive or to get your free baby body back. That's not the right reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so many more effective ways to get your, your pre-baby physique back. And that's generally by feeding yourself appropriate calories and lifting heavy shit. <laughs> Same, <laughs> right? You think you look super sexy, but your partner, all, all they want to do is like go out to a normal dinner with you and not hear you talking about your workouts and your body fat and all that stuff. And that, and I'm really glad you brought that up and, and shared your kind of, and if you have more to share, please do. You're always cold because your body fat levels are low. You, you're kind of lethargic. Um, you might have to do hours of cardio. Like some people just have to. I um, I had I so the last compliant. I couldn't be compliant with my diet. So I had to keep right. on doing more cardio. Right. And that's that, that, that restrict that, 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 uh, restrict then, then, um, compensate, yeah. um, whether it's in cardio food or whatever the case might be. Now I will say that the last three pro shows that I did, I did zero cardio for all of them. It was steps. My food only, you know, my food was not super low. It was like lowest. I think it was like 1800 calories um, for world champs. And then two years prior to that, it was like 1700. So, but I was just doing steps, but now keep in mind, my, not everybody can get away with that. Right. Like, especially females, most females are probably going to have to do cardio, uh, to kind of help create more of a caloric deficit. 
but uh, I'm glad, I'm really glad you, you brought that, that stuff up. It's, it's important to think about, um, you're cold, your horn, your hormone profile gets totally whacked and, and you could probably receive some complications down the road because of some of the things you experience or do during contest prep, especially if you're using PEDs, if you're a girl using PEDs, you're an idiot. And I'll tell you that right now, the, just it's silly for, for a plastic trophy, like that you're not going to care about yes. years from now. You're not going to care about it. I promise you that. Um, and nobody's going to remember. So again, back to your value system, um, sitting down hurt. It literally, it hurt. I had like, I, well, I had some pictures up. I had no fat on my butt cheeks. Like you look like basically somebody took a, uh, yarn and that was, you know, so you're cold, you can't sleep, um, your body can't regulate your temperature properly. You're always thinking about food yeah. because like <laughs> if, if you have trouble losing five to 10% of your body weight because you're having a difficult time regulating your appetite, you are not going to do well with contest prep because there is not... There is no amount of fruits or vegetables or low calorie shit that you find that will keep you satiated. I prom I promise you 100%. You will never be satiated once you get to a certain point. Once you start to creep into that that danger zone, that super you know, the super low body fat percentages. Um, now, some people listening to this might be like, "Well, I never experienced that." Well, you weren't lean enough, and I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, if you didn't experience like mad hunger cravings, pains, like doing everything in your power, like just doing stupid stuff, like chewing pickles and spitting them out, like walking around the grocery store, looking at aisles, like coming up with the weirdest food combinations, like mustard on pizza, like just stupid stuff like that. Like that will stick with you. Like that impacts your now and your later. Yeah. And like I said, if you have trouble managing your appetite, trying to lose five to 10% of your body weight, good luck. Cause it ain't going to happen getting to stage condition because it is exponentially worse yeah. and you have, and, and there's nothing you do about it. <laughs> I mean, and so like my takeaway is like, why would I go through that? If I could look like this and be happy and love my life and have pizza when I, you know, why would I go to that next step? I don't know. Maybe it's because I've already done it. I don't know. Right. But Again, and that's, and that's your, Again, right back to the value system, whether you've competed before or you haven't competed before, you know, that value system needs to help be a determining factor as to why or why you do not do something. And I'm in that same boat as you, Kylie. I'm drinking a beer right now. I probably drink three beers a month, maybe. Yeah. I, I do not drink often. Yeah. You know, I like to eat pizza. I like ice cream. I backpack. Mm -hmm. I do not want to track my macros when I'm backpacking. Are you kidding me? Like, there are so many things that are like... Is it worth missing out on the things in your immediate life when you're probably the most capable of doing things yeah. to get on stage? And, and again, only you can answer that. Right. And that's one of, that was one of the big factors. Like I love being physically active. Mountain biking is absolutely a, a love of mine. And I, I have four bikes. I absolutely love mountain biking, hiking, backpacking. When I'm in contest prep, I do zero of those things. Mm -hmm. And I moved out to Montana to do those things. <laughs> so it didn't align with my value system anymore. I um, love that. Well, you know, everything that you just said, it all comes back. Values. You talked a lot about values, your values and your purpose. And yeah. that's the 
to me, that's even more exciting than being super lean, like living a yeah. life in alignment. It, nothing feels better than that. It's kind of like D Dave Ramsey talked about like, people are going to hear this and think I hate bodybuilding and I don't, I just, right. I think people get into it for incorrect reasons yeah. and then they end up struggling the rest of their life with weight management and food relationships and relationships and, you know, lifting weights and body dysmorphia, things like that. <clears throat> Dave Ramsey said that, you know, he doesn't understand why people go into debt to buy cars to impress people at a stoplight they've never seen before. Same thing with bodybuilding. Yep. Why would you go into something to impress people online that you've never met before? And people at the show that you've never met before. And, you know, you can make some really great relationships backstage. I have so many wonderful people I've met, mm -hmm. but as far as the online space, like nobody cares. Like, <laughs> because they're, they're a dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's so funny. I didn't even think about that. I wasn't a social media person back when I did that thing. Like I didn't really yeah. start my Instagram until after all that, because the, what I did like about it is I learned I learned the power of nutrition. I don't know how much protein I was eating before all that. So I learned right. how to eat protein. I learned like how to build a body. Like that part was really freaking cool, but you can learn those things without going through all the rigmarole. Right. And, and for those of you listening, like what I would recommend if you're interested in bodybuilding or competitive, the, the competitive side, and you've never done it before, my recommendation would be number one, to make sure that you know, your value system aligns, make sure you understand the, the considerations, part of the considerations for bodybuilding and competing. But I would encourage you to perhaps, if you're interested in losing body fat, to try to lose with a coach, um, five to 10% of your body weight through regular exercise, you know, healthy nutrition, nourishing your body. And once you get to that point, then ask yourself, like, do you want to go further? Like, is it worth pushing harder? Because you might find that that five to ten percent of your weight loss, you feel your best, you look your best, you're eating a gratuitous amount of food still, like you're not on poverty macros, and your whole dynamic might change, your whole perception might change. So, you know, start with maybe some more modest weight loss, weight loss first, and then kind of evaluate when you get to that point. Is it worth pushing harder? Because losing that five to ten percent, you're likely more, you will hopefully be able to maintain that long-term. Yeah. 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 And because that's what you want. I mean, we've all seen it. I also don't want to have two bodies. I don't want to have this body that's like prep body and then this body that's not. And I see that. I'm like, and that's not for me. More and you have to think, <laughs> so contest prep clothes. Oh my God. <laughs> so I remember this was in grad school. I competed and I was super lean, but I lost a ton of mass because I did excessive cardio, um, fasted, et cetera. It's like, I just did a lot of the bro stuff that you, you know, yeah. you hear about being bro stuff today. So I had to go to a wedding. None of my stuff fit. And I refused. Like, and I'm not talking like, oh, you cinch up the belt. I'm talking literally, I could not cinch my belt up any tighter. Like oh I had God. to cut, I had to cut additional holes into it. And the amount of slack that was in there, it literally wrapped halfway around my waist again. My pants, they look like I took them off the big and tall section. Like you don't look normal in clothes. Um, just so yeah, the, the, the whole needing a new wardrobe, 
Like your contest prep wardrobe absolutely sucks because nothing fits. Or you have to go buy smaller clothes, but just know you're never going to fit into those in oh. your in the regular season. Well, and then for women, they get then upset that they can't wear that anymore. It's a whole fucking thing. Yes. <laughs> it's, it can be a vicious circle. <laughs> so, oh the, no. so, I, so speaking of women and being a whole thing, like I had some questions to ask you. Yeah, lay them um, on me. Unless you had any more things you wanted to ask no, about uh -uh. contest prep. I'm glad we got to um, through all that. So 90% of my, my clientele base is, is female um, from a variety of walks of life, occupations, et cetera. And I'd like you to speak to a few things. Um, and I think I messaged you about them and I'm going to try if I can remember them. The first one is the importance of resting between sets of exercise. I love this because... Three years ago, I still had not yet learned this lesson. I was that person. I'm sure anyone who knew what the what they're doing looked at me like I'm a crazy person because I would superset, triset literally everything. I thought resting between sets was for lazy people. I was like, no, I'm going to burn more calories in less time, all this stuff. Then I started working with a coach, you know, that actually knew what they were talking about. Yes. Now I rest three minutes between or five or four minutes between like my heavy squats, because now I understand if my goal is to build muscle, which even if my goal is to be leaner, my goal is to build more muscle. I need to be lifting the best that I can. Well, I can't squat 185, do a set of burpees in between and then do, you know, five more reps of 185 on the bar. So in order to progress, which is I need to do in order to keep building muscle, I need to rest. So yeah, rest is absolutely essential. And it, I do think it's the hardest thing for um, us women to learn. But once you learn it and you see the benefits and you don't feel so run down and you're, like I said, you're getting those results that you want, then you realize I didn't need to be supersetting everything and doing lunge jumps in between everything. <laughs> Yeah. So, so why do you think it's, why do you think it's difficult for women to grasp the concept of rest between sets? I think because they, all they're thinking about is burning calories, right? They think that's what their workouts are for. Whereas I think I would argue our workouts are to build muscle. So they're thinking about burning calories. How do I burn calories? I move. So I honestly think that's the biggest thing. And then it's just like, I can't sit still. I I feel like I have to always be doing something. That's not me, but I know a lot of women think that way. I honestly think that's what it is. It feels like a better workout. Mm -hmm. So I'm if I'm not sweating, if I can go right back to work without showering, did I really get a good workout in? So, you know, I think a lot of women don't understand what actually uh, constitutes a good workout workout because it's not about being sweaty or breathless or dead it's right energized when you're done so 100 percent. and i think that i'll add to that i agree with that 100 percent. i think i think there's maybe perhaps a few variables that's i wholeheartedly think that's one of the most important ones i think that you know maybe the maybe the, the females think that, or the women think that they, they need to constantly be doing something right. Perhaps they're, <clears throat> they're shuffling kids to school or they're, they're, they're so involved with not only just the family aspect, but the work life aspect. 
and they're used to go, go, go having so much on their plate. So <clears throat> perhaps there's this, this thought process of, I need to be done. I, I just need to get this workout done so I can go back to doing, you know, my job of whatever that might be. Maybe it's going back to work. Maybe it's prioritizing somebody else other than themselves when instead they, you should be saying no to certain things. So you could, you could really focus on building your physical and mental resiliency through improving your strength. Um, I agree 100%. And it's, it, you can almost, I can see them squirm. You know, it's like, ready to go. Put me in coach, put me in coach. But you're like, no, wait, wait till your three minutes or four minutes is up. Then you can go. It is. And so that's, so that's interesting because I do coach, uh, I have small group personal training barbell classes for women and even my one-on-ones and I'll let them kind of, I'll kind of let them self-destruct. And what I mean by that is we do a lot of big compounds. We'll do a form of a squat or a form of a deadlift and we'll be working, you know, with, you know, like maybe perhaps a rate of perceived exertion of like a, a seven or eight, right. For however many reps that for them at that particular time. And they do a set and I'll, I'll see how long they rest. And if they approach the exercise again, and I know they've rested less than a minute, I'll let them do it. Mm. And I won't say anything. And I'll watch them try to complete even half as many reps as they got the previous set and they can't do it. And they'll kind of look at me and I'll go, that's because you rested a minute. I said, what do you expect? I said, that's like asking me, that's like asking you to go run up that hill behind the gym. We have a mountain up behind us. Um, run back down and run back up at the same pace with no rest. Like you need to, so that by process, process of elimination, by having them go through that experience, like I don't have to really ever say it again. I'm like, all right, now you know, this is why you rest. And then, they, then when they do rest, so after that second attempt where they failed at, you know, hitting you know, X amount of repetitions, they'll actually rest that between the second and third set. And then they'll look at me like, holy shit, you're right. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just didn't start doing this today type of a type of a reply, you know. I think it's one of those things like people have to learn that one the hard way. It's crazy. But yeah, that was that's always a hard, that was a hard thing for me to adopt as well. But once you go, once you figure it out, you're like, oh yeah. I'm never doing that again. And I want to, I want to spread the word, but I will, I will never go up to anyone at the gym, you know, and be like, Hey, Susan, you know what? You really shouldn't be doing those jumps in between your, <laughs> I want to so bad. Yeah. 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 It, rest. It's the objective. If you need to move, just go walk or like go hop on the treadmill at a slow pace for three minutes, walk. Like you don't necessarily have to sit still, but you don't need to be doing a filler exercise. Right. And that's it. It's that filler exercise. There's no purpose to it. Yeah. yeah. So pardon me. I'm, I just got done with my beer and now I'm drinking a, a squirt zero. I'm drinking a diet Coke, which by the way, I the big gulp. actually tell you, actually diet Dr. Pepper. I got another big, another free big gulp. How are you scoring those? It was the same kid. And I'm wondering if he doesn't know how to ring them up. <laughs> you should, I mean... I got a free coffee the other week, but I've not, I have not scored two free coffees. You got two free big goals. I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, that kid's here again. I wonder if he recognizes me. And I pull out my wallet and he's like, just take it. Oh, wow. He knows how to ring it up. He just doesn't want to. 
<laughs> Whatever, I'll take it. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> oh, I don't know what his name work is. Work in the system. Work in the system. Kindness oh, always pays off. That is true. Very true. <laughs> so, so speaking of kindness, talk about your responsibility as a spouse, a parent, a female role model for setting an example, not only to your, your, your spouse, but to your children. Um, what type of influence do you have in the household? And I'm not talking about who wears the pants. I'm talking literally about, you know, yes. what I, mean. I, I, have, I have a huge influence and I know a lot of people and it's, it's, it's not just a woman. It's not just a man. It varies from house to house who they start their health and wellness journey. And then they wish their partner would. And then they want to tell their partner what to do. Or maybe even they ask them, Hey, let's go to the gym. How about you come work out with me? Your partner doesn't like, this is, I don't think that's a conversation you have with your partner. Your partner needs to know that you love them the way that they are. They do not need to be changed at all. But if they see you doing your things and they see you, um, you know, feeling happy and energized, making progress, whatever that looks like, they will eventually hop on board. And if they don't, that's fine. That's their thing. The best way to influence someone, though, is with your actions, not your words, especially your children. I can tell my son to eat vegetables all day long. He is not ever going to eat a vegetable unless I'm eating vegetables. Same thing with the working out. And I'm sure all the parents can agree when they see their, when your children see you working out, they want to do it. They want to pick up the dumbbells. They go, hey, mommy, look at this. They just know it's part of the drill. Like I grew up in a household where my mom and dad were both active. My mom and dad went to aerobics together. Like my father was there in the spandex, wearing the headband, doing step class right there with my mom. And it was never implied we're working out to lose weight. It was just, I went to the rec center with them while they worked out. So for me, it was just part of, this is what we do as individuals. Yeah. And I think that really did set me up um, for success down the road. So that role, like you all have huge influence, even if you don't think you do. Influence is not just for social media influencers. You have more influence in your home than you do online. And I was hearing you talking about, you know, stop worrying about being online. You, The best impact you can make is on your immediate community. I agree with you 100%. And I think now that things are quote unquote back to normal, I think there's a huge swing back to that. I'm actually looking for ways that I can be now in person in my community to connect rather than just online. Because guess what? Everybody's online. Mm. So I'd rather be able to connect with you in person so you can get to know me. Because when people right. know you, then they're more likely to trust you. Do what you right. want. Mm -hmm. So in the, the nutrition space, what advice would you give to other women out there, females who are perhaps looking to reduce body weight or change body composition? when it comes to tracking food, right? Because like you talked about, you lead a lot by example in the household and kids are like sponges. They will, and if you don't think kids are sponges, you're incredibly wrong because 
I remember I've dropped a few cuss words around some of my friends' kids and they remember them. Like, and I'm talking like they can barely walk type of a deal and they're remembering that. So if you don't think that they're not paying attention to you, what you're doing in the kitchen, the foods you're buying. So like, and that's another thing I'll ask you about um, food selection in the household. But what advice would you give to females looking to change body composition in any capacity that live in a household, that have a household with one or more children in there? Um, what have been some, some successful perhaps strategies or tips that you've provided to your female clientele to help them navigate that, that environmental space to where they're not um, imposing the influence of, of dieting, the dieting culture at that young age? We talk a lot about this um, just because my clientele, the age group is at, probably youngest at the 35 on average up into the 50s. And we, we've had a number done on us and we're a lot of us are not okay. So we don't want to repeat those patterns with our children. So it's a concern. I don't want my daughter to see me weighing my food. What does that say? Explain, like be upfront. Mommy is weighing her chicken to make sure she's eating enough so she can be strong. You just have to have a conversation. That's all it is. It's not, I'm only, I can only have this. It's not that I want to make sure I'm eating enough to do the things I love to do. So I have enough energy so that I'm strong. Then it's not weird. Like it's only weird if you make it weird. Right. So it's a big conversation that we have. Empower them. Knowledge is power. Hey, guess what? This four ounces of chicken breast has 120 grams or has 40 grams of protein. That's great. I need to eat 40 grams of protein at each of my meals. How much protein did you eat today, Susie? So that's that's how we go how I like to approach it is from this um, knowledge standpoint, but then also you'll never hear me say, I, I can't, my mom can't have that. Mom's on a diet. Can't have that. <laughs> Not ever yeah. gonna do that because well, I've heard it recently. Oh, I shouldn't eat this. I had a huge lunch. Like we don't need to say that. We don't need to say anything like that. Kids pick up on that. And then they think, Oh, Mom had a big lunch, so she's going to have a smaller dinner. Is that what I need to do? Um, so you just really have to be mindful about what it is that you're saying. And, you know, food selection, which you briefly asked about, I buy anything and everything. There's nothing off limits in this house. I've got Doritos. I've got goldfish. I've got ice cream in my house right now. <laughs> Good for you. And that also helped me. Because I used to have these like off limits, taboo foods. So whenever I had them, I would have to eat all the ice cream at once. I can't believe how long a gallon of ice cream can last now. It's like, I'm so proud of myself for that progress. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, when my kid was just like two, that's what he loved. And I would eat just as much of it as him. Now Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I'm like, wow, yeah, great, cool. It just like, it desensitizes you to these forbidden things um, and you realize you can have them whenever you want. So I let anything in our house because I don't want him going next door and then feeling like he can only eat M&Ms when he's at their house. So he just gorges on them. Right. That's fantastic. You know, I, and I remember growing up, you know, my mom, she stayed at home and, and raised us. She worked, she's a nurse by trade, but uh, at any rate, I always remembered uh when I, when I took lunch to school and of course my parents would pack my lunch cause I was young. And if it were up to me, there'd be, you know, 
pudding packs and you know fruit roll-ups and like it would be it would be the the candy land of uh, the lunchbox candy land yeah. which you know some of those things would be okay in moderation but so anyways i would always remember i'd be so fucking pissed at my mom because i'd open my lunchbox and there'd be a really great sandwich in there there'd be some carrot sticks or some sort of a vegetable uh, the sandwich would have a protein on it there might be an apple or something but there would never be dessert there would never be dessert and i'm sitting there with my buddies and these sons of bitches are bringing out fruit roll-ups they're bringing out like all this other stuff and i'm like but after a while like i'm just like you know i really like what i'm eating like yeah. it was great and i granted i would have like an after school snack when i got home like i'd have a bowl of you know cinnamon toast crunch or something yeah. but it was all in moderation and i would just remember and i and i think about that often mm -hmm. just like those those little nuances and instances early on in my life that kind of perhaps helped form my thought process and relationships with food. And it was nothing my mom ever said to me. It was, these are the things that were in my lunchbox. And yeah, sometimes I think like maybe once a week, she'd put, you know, like a, a pudding pack or something in there mm -hmm. that, uh, that she knew I would really like. Um, so it was always in moderation. And that was like, that was a huge help for me. Well, and I've noticed something Brooks under, that's my son. He knows how to self-regulate. He'll say, I don't, I, I don't want to eat any more of this. I don't want to get sick. He, there was one time I was taking him to an after-school activity and I forgot a snack. And all I had in my car was Girl Scout cookies. Homeboy housed at least a full sleeve of a Thin Mints, maybe the half of the next one. So he's at gymnastics, not feeling great. And afterwards he's like, mom, I can't do that again. And he's never done it since. It's kind of like your uh, female client resting, not enough. All it took was one time of feeling like shit. And he knows I can't do that. He had a sleepover at his uh, grandfather's. He had too much ice cream and something else. He's like, he will never do that again. So I, he learned. It didn't take me. I didn't have to say anything to him. I, he's not traumatized for me. He just knows. Uh, and I think there's a lot of power in that, like letting them understand how to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. And so that's, so it's interesting, and, and this is kind of a, a, a little deviation from our, our conversation, but still relative, I think. So because I have my master's in nutrition, I do speak a lot to how to nourish your body, right? And I also train a lot of athletes from 10 and up, um, a lot of division one athletes and kids that are very talented at a young age that have a lot of potential. And I don't think there's enough... I think it's almost like taboo or, or people think it's bad karma when they see like athletes eating like pop tarts and stuff like that. And it's like your child is growing number one and granted, you know, when you're, when you're af when your child is in multiple sports throughout the year, sometimes they overlap like half oh, three quarters of my athletes are multi-sport athletes. So they're always doing something their metabolic capacity is so freaking high, but there's a challenge there, right? Like, of course we want to prioritize, you know, protein. We want to prioritize fruits, vegetables, things that we preach to, to adults, but to get the amount of calories and nourishment from that would almost be physically impossible to consume in a day. So we have to supplement with high caloric, hyper palatable foods in order to help them perform. Right. So when parents are like, you're recommending a pop tart, I'm like, 
your kid just got done with two and a half hours of practice and they got another hour and a half tonight and they just got done lifting weights with me. That popped heart is gone and they haven't even consumed it yet. Like the importance of nourishing the goal is, is, is so critical. But on the other side of that coin, I'll get adolescent clients, athletes that will ask about weight management. And this is a space that I take very seriously because I think there's a lot of old school coaches, trainers, whatever. And there's, there's just uneducated people out there. They're like, Oh, I'm going to put this athlete on a diet, which is absolutely asinine on so many levels. So what we focus about, we focus on is like maintaining performance. A lot of stuff that Patrick talked about during his presentation, nourishing those goals for performance. But really what I talk about is like, you know, maybe write down what you're eating in a day and let's maybe evaluate where you could increase your protein. And this is why I'm singling out protein because it's the powerhouse of macronutrients. It helps with muscle rebuilding, replenishment, recovery, repair. It helps with, you know, I don't tell them it really helps with appetite regulation, but it's, it's, if you're active, this is one of the things, this is the gas you want to put in your gas tank. And a lot of times by default, just in, suggesting an athlete does a protein shake um, because it's simple. It's easy to remember. They'll likely auto, they'll, they'll self-correct and auto-regulate on their own. Same thing if clients, if they want to gain weight, because that is a problem, right? Yes. Um, there's some medications out there. Um, granted, disclaimer, you need to talk with your provider. There are a lot of medications that maybe athletes are on that, that um, suppress appetite for a variety of different conditions. You should talk to your parents and you should talk to your providers about this, especially if you're looking to improve performance and improve weight gain so that you can be uh, improve your performance on the field, court, whatever. So if a client or an athlete's looking to, to in, increase body weight, uh, muscle weight, whatever lean, lean mass, I suggest simplest thing, make a protein shake at night, put, you know, a scoop of protein use. If you're lactose intolerant, use an alternative milk, otherwise use 2% or whole percent milk, put peanut butter, put a banana. I said, make it around 500 plus calories. I said, if you put a heaping scoop of peanut butter with some, with a banana, some milk and a protein, uh, scoop of protein, you're probably going to be pretty close. Just start there. Just add that every day for the rest of the week. Let's talk in a month. Or let's talk next week. Yeah. And that it works. It works so well. They're not tracking their food. They're just, hey, I get another snack before bed. Hell yes. That's literally what they're thinking. It's not, oh, I got to do this, this, this. It's like, oh, I get to eat again. And they and feel better. Delicious. And they come back and they're like, holy shit, I just set a new PR at, at practice. Like I scored two goals on whatever, right? So there's ways to approach delivering the message that have little to zero consequence on the receiving end in terms of reshaping the way that person thinks about food. And that is extremely important since I work with a lot of former athletes who are still working through that. 45 years old, still dealing with a comment that a coach told them when they were 18. You need to lose weight, all of this stuff. And it like those, those comments have serious consequences. Yeah, that actually might be a tweet of mine. I've been thinking about that because there are some, you know, because then you, yeah, it's just, that's a whole ball of wax. It's just, right. it's, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, so without giving any weight, like too many details, I was a swimmer and um, there were two sides of our swim team 
um, because I'm from Kansas City. There was a Kansas side and there was a Missouri side. There were two coaches. One coach was not so good about delivering this message. And I've worked with a handful of women now. Like we were on the same swim team when we were teenagers and I've worked with them now and they are not okay. Like, I'm like, that was fucking 20 years ago, but it's not gone. And so that just makes me really angry. And I'm glad that the conversation is changing to performance, not just weight loss. Yeah, that's a huge one. Like I work with a lot of, I train a, a, a professional ballet dancer. He, he trained over, a, uh, he went to school in London and trained at a Juilliard uh, School of Arts over there for ballet, super accomplished. And I've been working with him for like seven years. And I remember when he initially came to me, um, his, his, I worked with him and his mother and his mom took him to a dietitian. The dietitian was absolutely a joke. Uh, um, RD. Just, yeah. And that's not to discredit because we have like, there's a lot of good RDs in this space, but your clinical RD yeah. talk about being sterilized, right? Like, so just think of the setting you're taking a kid to a hospital and a freaking weight, like probably not going to be receptive, but at any rate, his, his mother couldn't, his mother was very much, um, very involved in his life, very loving, caring. I remember our first training session. She's like, well, I can come, I can come shadow you. Right. And I'm like, no, I said, you're not, I said, you're not going to helicopter my session. I said, you can either wait in the waiting room or go in your car and come back in an hour when I'm finished with it. And she kind of looked at me and I'm like, I'm serious. Like this is his time with me. And if you trust me, I will work with him and we will get what we need accomplished. I said, if you're around, we're not going to get anything accomplished. He's going to be embarrassed. So I'm still working with both of them to this day. So at any rate, super skinny kid, very talented, but didn't know how to eat well. So what did we do? Let's add a protein shake every night. Can you do that? Yeah, I can eat more. Like his mom was very much the, you need to eat this. You need to eat this. Didn't work. The things that the very, very, very things that you were just explaining not too long ago, and so we kind of cultivated, I built that trust in the relationship. I didn't recommend it right away. We did the first, you know, month or so, a couple times a week, just getting him used to training, getting him used to working with me. He experienced one low, low blood sugar because he trained with me in the morning. That was the first and last time that ever happened. We had a conversation about that. And he, I just trained him the last week. He is so incredibly well put together and he is one of the top performing kids in his class. And it is so great to see him just have blossomed into this magnificent performer all because the message that was delivered to him at a young age was appropriate. Um, and I'm not talking about being PC or any of that. I'm talking about truly knowing how to communicate with somebody where it, you don't gain anything from it, right? Like I'm not going to give this kid information and charge him like, I truly want, like, that's, that's truly the beauty of coaching is knowing that you can provide and relay information to an individual and not expect anything in return, perhaps other than compliance, but figuring out a way to do that. That's the key. And that's very tricky. It is. Well, I actually saw him on your Instagram the other day. Um, yeah. I was like, Oh my God, this guy's a ballet dancer. And I just was intrigued and I did a deep dive and I was like, that is so cool. And yeah. Hopefully more kids get this opportunity. When I see the young people you're training, I, I hope they know um, like what a gift that is because I'm thinking, okay, if these kids can learn this in their teen years, and it sounds like they're also getting great nutrition advice, maybe we will dig ourselves out of this obesity issue that we have because it's, 
you know, talking to you and being around our contacts, it's, we live in a bubble, but you go out in the wild and you're like, oh, this does exist still. People don't know how to eat. People are overweight. People aren't healthy. And maybe it will, maybe it'll fix itself in the next 50 years or so. Yep. And the message that, yeah, I'm actually going to make a reel on this about the coach, coach's responsibility at a high school level is not to tell the kid that they need to gain weight or lose weight. They have no class. They have no moral ground or credentials to stand on that. And quite frankly, most of the high school coaches I've seen are probably not the best ones to lead by example, if I might be frank. I was just kind of thinking about that. <laughs> it's, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could work with teenagers. I, I, lo I love that. It's such a formidable time. Like their brains are forming and you can have such an impact that will last. So instead of, you know, having that negative impact on the women that I work with that are now still dealing with what was said to them 25 years ago, it's all, it's a whole different game. And it's that mm -hmm. ripple. Oh, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. What's, um, I have one more question for you. If you could pick one of your biggest barriers for females entering in, into the, the physical fitness space, whether that's a combination of nutrition and, and activity, what would that look like for you? What, what would you kind of outline that like? Oh, it's, this is, a, this is great. I love that you asked this. It's getting them to eat more, getting them to eat more. You can't always be on a diet and understanding that you're going to need to eat more. That's it. Yeah. It's like, and it's so blunt and beautifully put. It's like putting a quarter tank of fuel in your car and trying to drive across the country. Good luck. See how far you get. That's exactly what undernourishment is. is. You're asking your body to do something without the resources to support the ask. So why would your body do what you want it to do if you're not treating it the way she wants to be treated? Right. So that's it. And that's my mission. You know, that is just trying it out here to get women to eat more and lift weights. And then yep. everything will be fine. Everything will fall into place. And literally everything. <laughs> We talk about value and purpose. It all comes together. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because <laughs> it's like, if you expect you want your body to work harder and work more, but you feel you can't, you, you have chronic levels of fatigue, negative self-talk, you feel like shit, restricting more isn't going to, to solve that problem. In fact, it's going to make it worse. The consequence is much greater. So you absolutely have to do something different. You, you absolutely have to start. If you want to stop feeling like crap, if you want to have more energy, if you want your period back, if you want to have a sex drive, if you want to have, you know, maybe perhaps a more normal hormone profile because your shit's been whacked for however long that goes back to your lifestyle, how you nourish your body. Um, and probably your sleep hygiene and some other things, which also are impacted by the way you nourish your body. Yes. I know. And, you know, I talk a lot to the perimenopausal women. So women in their forties, mid forties, that formula absolutely does not work like driving harder and giving it less fuel. It has exponentially worse outcomes. 
And you're right. And I don't talk a lot about hormones. There's a lot of people out there that talk about being hormone experts and balancing hormones. Like I don't need to be that person because lifestyle factors are going to fix your hormones. I mean, you might need to work with someone that's cool, but even your naturopath is going to tell you to dial in your sleep hygiene, eat the vegetables, eat the protein, all, all the things. So like I got real in my head back in 2020. It's like, oh, I got to be a hormone specialist. I signed up for a certification and I was, I was in over my head. I, I won't lie to you. Um, and I was like, I don't, but I don't need this because I see what's actually fixing the issue and it's everything we're already doing. So. Yeah. And and to, to that point about the people you see with hormone specialists or <clears throat> gut health specialists, I think more importantly, the hormone specialists, like it's fancy. It's a catchy phrase. Really the, probably the only thing that they're going to have you do is scale back on the amount of outputs you're, you're doing, the amount of workouts you're doing. You're going to focus more on simplifying your lifestyle um, subtracting things. And by default, that's going to have an overall positive response on your physiology. There could be some supplementation involved, but again, supplements only help if you're doing the back end work, right? It would be no different than saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this, uh, well, fat burner. It's just a bunch of shit anyway. Fat burners are nothing more than just a bunch of vitamins and, and caffeine. Caffeine can perhaps increase your thermic rate insignificant. Supplements will not offset lack of compliance. Nope. I love what you just said, because again, back to values, getting people to take things off their to-do list. You said like simplifying their lives. That's also really, really challenging but it's like, that's exactly what it's going to take. You can't do everything. Like you run a business, you have a ton of clients, but I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, but is your life pretty simple? Yes. And I, and I don't say that with a sigh, like yes and no. I, I manage a client load that allows me to give quality service to all of my customers, but I regulate the amount of the amount of customers I work with so that at the end of the day, now this doesn't mean that I'm not exhausted at the end of the day. Like I feel accomplished at the end of the day when I come home and I'm like, you know, I had X amount of sessions. I checked with X amount of clients online, like, but I structure my day in a way that allows me to do that very effectively. But I also know when to shut everything off right? Like my phone is always on silent. If I took my phone off silent at any point in the day, I'd probably get blown up with text messages, emails. Like, I don't want to be distracted by that. I'm trying to focus in the moment. Weekends, I don't do any client work on the weekends. Um, with the exception of a, of a few times where like I'm traveling for a week and I miss a few days of training, like I might do a Sunday or, you know, a couple of sessions in the morning. But in part, I structure my schedule in a way that allows me to fill my own glass when it needs to be filled. And great example is I had six new client inquiries for my gym in the last week. And if I would not have upscaled and brought on four new trainers, um, I, I probably, the me seven years ago, five years ago would have taken them on at any cost, like to make, to make a few extra bucks, you know, whatever. But like, I look at that now and I'm like, I don't care if I made 10 grand extra from those, those six clients that just inquired with me, I'm not taking them. So now I pass them off 
to my trainers who are renting space from me. So I'm feeding them and they're paying me at the end of every month, keeps everybody happy. Um, but you have to know, cause you, you, I can't say I'm in this position because I never reached a breaking point. I've hit rock bottom before I've, I've, I've had physical burnout and I know when that needle is getting redlined. And so I manage it even with my online clients with, with, with BioLane, I manage the amount of clients I take on. I don't want a hundred clients. I don't want 80 clients. I want 60 clients. I want 50 clients because at that point, now I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. Right. Yeah. And I just wanted to point that out because I feel like a lot of people who have figured it out, we figure it out the hard way. You just realize I have the capacity for this much, anything more. I know something's going to slip and it's not worth it to me and my value system. And it's just really important. You've got to take things off that to-do list. And I don't know if men struggle with it as well. Do you, I don't know. I don't have insight into the male psyche. Taking on too much? Yeah. I think it's very, I think it's very much a, a dominant thought process. Unfortunately, I don't think the male species is intelligent enough to recognize when too much is too much. And I'm maybe not all of them because I'm, I'm, I'm obviously male, but like I realized it through, you know, burning the candle at both ends and, and it, it really shouldn't take a catastrophic experience. Now mine wasn't catastrophic, fortunately, but I did have some very, um, you know, it ended up almost costing me some relationships. Um, you know, uh, things could have been, you know, things were on the right, just, it, it has a negative impact. And it can be far worse than that. The revelatory moment can be far worse than that. And I would encourage everybody not to let it get to that point. But I do think sometimes it's helpful to get to that point to realize, oh, this is this is the consequence of doing X, Y, Z, right? So ideally, we'd like to, to figure that out before that happens. But I unfortunately, I don't think that's always the case. And so, you know, I think for the male population, I just think by default, we're too stubborn. And I think, but I think we also have, you know, a strong will and we, and we want to, we want to carry the load. Like we want to carry as much as possible to be like, but let me tell you, um, uh, it, it's probably not very, it's probably not very masculine to take on more than you can handle because as a result of that, you start treating other, everybody else in your circle, um, poorly. Yeah. Right. And that's not cool. No. Right. Like how you treat people matters, yeah. um, regardless of how big your name is, you know, what you own, what you do, like how you treat people matters. And you, if you don't treat yourself well, you will not treat others around you well. And th I think that goes for both men and women, because when the women do that too, then we get really resentful. And I'm sure men get resentful too, but like your kids know when you're resentful, your partner knows when you're resentful, like people pick up on that. And that's just, it's not a fun place to be. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So the amount of, uh, what I can say from starting to say no to people, a uh, couple, I would say like a year and a half, to be honest, I've been in this arena for 20 years and really two years, year and a half ago is really when I started to say no so much more often. Mm -hmm. And it has made my life so much better as a result. That's awesome. And you know, that might be from, you know, firing the client who whines that, you know, or like, you know, if there's, you know, there's always a squeaky wheel in a gym and 
fortunately, because my training facility is a private facility, but like in the regular club space, like, you know, they'll just, you'll take as many, like, here's an example. So like a membership based gym will take as many members as they want, right? Because it's revenue, but you have that one squeaky wheel that always complains about something, but they don't spend any freaking money in your facility aside from the membership, which doesn't help with revenue. It helps with baseline expenses. And they always have an opinion. They're always squeaking about something. And even if you change that something, they wouldn't appreciate it. They don't spend an extra dollar in your business to support you. They're just there to have a voice. So start saying no to that squeaky wheel because that squeaky wheel isn't paying. No. Paying rent. They're not putting money in your pocketbook. Start saying no. Like you have to. Oh my gosh. Yes. And like coaches out there, the people who ask for the discount are always the biggest, loudest squeaky wheels. <laughs> Peace. Actually, yeah. You have a discount? Thanks for asking. No, I don't. No. Here's anytime fitness info. Oh my God. <laughs> and that's and that's honestly another really good point you brought up. And I know we're we're going on almost two hours here. Um people that it's one thing to run sales, but people that ask for discounts, and I'm saying this specifically in the in the fitness arena that are asking for discounts for your time, right? You're investing time to write programs or consult for nutrition check-in weekly. They will not value your time as a coach. If they're asking for a discount, they're not going to be a good client, I promise you. So instead of bringing your price down to take a client that's not going to, that, that won't be compliant, that will be probably more of a headache um, and they won't be worth it. Save that slot for somebody who knows your value, who's ready to commit and to be consistent and compliant with working with you because your experience with that particular client will make, will make um, your experience better. You'll be more fulfilled and you'll improve your coaching skills. You can so. tell like this is, these are lessons from someone who has definitely learned some things <laughs> the hard way. Oh God. You, so when you first, and this is you, when you first get into the fitness industry, take everybody on. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important because you get a mixed bag of personalities, things like that. So then you can start to evaluate like, oh, this is what happened when I took somebody on for 50% off of what I charge. This is what happened when I took somebody on that paid my full rate. Like you can start to see a pretty big, disparity between the characteristics of the different personalities and people and customers you work with. But as you get, you're continually trying to refine your process every year. Like I still refine my process and I'm, and I'm sure you do as well. You've been in this just as long as I have, if not longer, you're always, you're always refining your process. But when you first start, take everybody on because you'll be mind boggled. You'd be like, man, this is not worth the 30% off I gave this person. This is bullshit. Like I just, I just, I'd rather give them the money back and go their own way, which you might actually end up doing. I've done that before. You know what? This is not working <laughs> this isn't a good fit. You go. Peace. Yeah, Peace. exactly. So are you, are you taking any new clients? Are you at max capacity right now? My, my one-on-one -on -one is max capacity. The only space I'm taking more clients in is my sports conditioning class, but that's even kind of getting kind of full. So those spots are limited. My online coaching, um, I'm, I probably, if I look at it, would, would have room for perhaps three to five more, but here's the big caveat during my consults. That's my interview process for you. 
Um, there are people I don't follow up with because they're not a good fit. I might send them an email and say, Hey, we're not a good fit. Check out other coaches or, you know, here's, here's a recommendation, but yeah, I'm as busy as I want to be. Um, I would even argue, I could probably take a few people off my plate and still be as busy as I want to be, but I'm not actively running deals, discounts, because I don't, I'm, I don't need to, uh, I'm as busy as I want to be. And I wish I could be in your sports conditioning class. <laughs> really well, well if you're are you ever coming to montana i mean you're in colorado you're not that yeah, far oh, i'm coming i'm coming to your gym let me know when um you're, you're more than welcome i'll take you through a session we can you can hang out with the sports conditioning class doesn't matter um i'll actually be in colorado at red rocks at the end of july or excuse me end of june early july what are you doing concert uh, concert yeah we're gonna drive uh we've got a rooftop tent for my suv and we're gonna go to um uh chatfield state park i think it is or something like that are you bringing your bikes uh, i thought about it yeah. so here you can mountain bike here <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> i think we're gonna be gone for like four or five days uh the concert's on saturday the last saturday in june um so i think we're coming friday and then we're leaving like Monday or something like that. Is it you and your wife? Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, my husband, he just, when I walked up here to my office, he was booking his flight to Montana. He'll be in Billings. and But I don't okay. know how Montana City is in relation to Billings. Four hours away. So oh, yeah. Billings is like far east. I'm kind of northwest of there. So Bozeman's almost like kind of like the center. I'm northwest of Bozeman, like 90 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. How can people find you if they just want to learn more about you and all that? So you can check out um, thebar406.com. That's my personal business website. Um, Coach Polly on Instagram. Okay. I'm not really, I do have a Facebook account. Um, it's for the BioLane, uh, the BioLane works, mm -hmm. uh, the BioLane stuff, but I'm not really active on there. I don't post stuff on Facebook. One social media platform is enough. Yeah. Uh, you can go to um, BioLane.com and look under coaching. And you can see more about me there. Oh. And uh, any one of those mediums I provided to you, there's a way to reach out to me, whether it's a direct message, email through sign up on my website or inquire through the BioLane website. Any of those avenues would work. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make yeah. sure everyone knows how to get a hold of you just in case like it might be a good fit. Or, I mean, I feel like your Instagram is, it's, I, I learn a lot when I go there. I'm inspired. And I honestly, I love watching people work out, you know, like I've always been that gal. So sure. I love watching your clients like do their thing and you do your thing, you guys. So you can't uh, tell how tall he is. I mean, he said, but six, four in real life, that's tall. And I was like, who, who, who is this person? He's a real life <laughs> Thor. You are a real life Thor. And I did not understand that Thor was your name, your nickname in high school. Your license. No, so it was my nickname. Gosh, what was it like? Uh, probably ten years ago, it, it stuck with me, and so I actually got a license plate that said Thor, because like people got me Thor clothing, like T-shirts, um, mugs, ornaments, like like it stuck, and I'm like, I'm like okay, like I'm pretty modest, like it's hard for me to accept the compliment sometimes, but I'm like you know, it's that's Chris Hemsworth. I mean. He's kind of second to me. And I mean, really, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's my nickname. And um, like, it was legit. I had no idea. I just saw this tall guy up there with these 
caps dealt. <laughs> I had I had uh, inserts in. No, you did not. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me. I I got butt inserts in. No, I don't. <laughs> built that. <laughs> and that wasn't from bands or kicking your leg back on the stair mill either. Oh that my god. Uh, That's a whole nother podcast. No. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your time. You're absolutely amazing. I appreciate the invite. It was wonderful to meet you in person. And thank you for uh thank you for this invitation. Thank you for saying hi to me at the, the Biolane conference. It <laughs> meant the world to me. And uh yeah, I look forward to to collaborating in the future. Reach out anytime. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul. You betcha. Have a wonderful you evening. Too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like I said, that was a little bit longer episode, but I hope you enjoyed it and you fell in love with Paul just as much as I did the second that I met him. You guys, it is summertime. I hope you are enjoying yourself. I know we're all getting used to our new schedule, so if you're not quite adjusted yet, give yourself some time, and I'll talk to you next week on the next episode.